Who the Wild Things Are with Ryan McGuire. You gotta listen to your body. Oh my God, maybe, you know, I could get out there. I could do this. Let's take a ride. Find your wild side. Real stories. See with your own eyes. It's so beautiful. I'm gonna have the best time out here. Yeah, I was in tears. I was like, that's the best, man. All right, welcome back to uh, episode 17 of Who the Wild Things Are. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining again. We had a bit of technical difficulties, but we're back. Um, like I said, it's funny. I was looking at it just over a year ago. We were sitting at a dinner table, it was me and a friend of mine, and we were kind of discussing how it seemed like everyone was having a hard time figuring out kind of their purpose and what direction to go. This was during the pandemic, so it was it was kind of difficult at that point. And uh, my friend recommended, why don't you just get on there and uh, and talk to people about how you found your passion in fitness and outdoors. And it's cool to see a year later now, 17 episodes later, uh, we're still rocking here on Who the Wild Things Are. Uh, it's been awesome. And today we have a super special guest, Eric Hinman, who is a athlete. He's a five-time uh, Ironman. He's a serial investor and angel investor. And uh, yeah, he's a really cool guy that's designed his life around setting priorities and building the habits that will funnel him to those goals. So we're going to get Eric in here and uh, yeah, we'll get the party started. Thanks everyone for bearing with us. Hey man. My man, how are you? Looks like you're inside a sequoia tree or something. Yeah, dude, that's exactly the vibe. <laughs> I love it. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Sorry we couldn't uh, make that run workout today. I know. Yeah, it, uh, it would have been a great day to do it. I bet it probably would have started snowing just as we were up there. Um, I did it like two, we're talking about Mount Morrison in, in Colorado, which is I think it starts at what, like 6,000, goes up to 8,000. Um, I did it two weeks ago when it was snowing and it was like four or five inches of powder. And when you get to the top, you know, it's very steep up there and there's just so many loose rocks. And when it's a lot of powder, you can't see any of them. So I'm up there coming down and I'm like, this is really dangerous. Like I'm rolling my ankle and slipping down some of those steep descents. I'm like, I might just tumble down to red rocks from here. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's serious up there like there's there's a couple moves that get pretty technical like class four moves that if you're not paying attention they're high high risk yeah 100 percent. so i'm supposed to do it tomorrow with some friends and i'm like yeah we might want to snow check that it might be pretty treacherous conditions right yeah it's it's one of those things you know sometimes it's better to just hit it another day yeah, wait for some other people to pack it down. Wait for you to pack it down for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get up there, man. I'll be back uh, on Mount Morrison next week for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining. Um, I was just kind of giving a little bit of background and intro on kind of who I see. Um, mostly, I, I mean, we've just met over the last couple of weeks, and it's been really cool to see uh, how you've kind of developed this lifestyle and designed it. Uh, to really follow your passions. And I think a lot of people can see what you're doing now based on your Instagram, because you do such a good job of conveying your message. But I kind of like to get a precursor to that. So how did you get to this point where you had the freedom 
to pursue these endeavors like fitness and, and entrepreneurship? Yeah, so my father gave me an incredible opportunity right out of college to create my own business. I started a property and casualty insurance agency in upstate New York. And, you know, it was residual income and building an asset, which I always tell like young entrepreneurs that are starting off that, you know, if, if you're, if you can choose your own destiny, like start a business and pick something where, you know, it's going to be residual income and you're building an asset. So, you know, I was very fortunate that I was given that opportunity early on and kind of pointed in that direction. So, you know, I did that for seven or eight years, putting 50,000 miles on a car, going door to door, selling insurance to commercial businesses. And so that gave me, you know, the flexibility after a period of time financially to start taking some risks. And then I got into software. I partnered with some friends from Syracuse University and we started building mobile applications early in the in the app revolution and from there sold my shares in 2014 and just started reinvesting in passion projects um, a gym in upstate New York some restaurants in upstate New York different brands like 10,000 and you know through that time period I started building my life more around health and wellness than business it's like I got into Ironman triathlon and you know, realized that like my heart was singing every single day and I found like what I was super passionate about. And, you know, I was showing up as the best version of myself after, you know, going on a run, going on a bike ride. And, you know, now so much of my life is just based around all of these health and wellness practices that, you know, allow me to feel good day in and day out, to have mental clarity, to have unlimited energy and yeah, show up as the best version of myself. So, I think that's what often gets overlooked with a lot of the things that, you know, that we as, you know, deemed as athletes, um, you know, that we do, that we're doing it because we want to feel good mentally and emotionally. Um, and that the, the look is just a, a byproduct of how we want to feel every day. Absolutely. And I think uh, the increased energy is definitely something that like it, it extra like I, I can see it everywhere in your lifestyle both in person and online it's like you can tell when someone's energy is actually in what they're doing you're not just going through the motions it's yeah. actually all in and I, I think part of the way I saw that initially is when when you partner with a brand it's not just here's a picture of me wearing these clothes you're getting detailed into it like here are the actual advantages here's how I'm using it here's how other people use it here's where it might have a setback, here's where they're developing in the future, you actually get nitty gritty and do like studies on the stuff that you're promoting in your fitness lifestyle. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think some of that comes from like, I built businesses and I built brands. So like, I want to be super passionate about the brand I'm working with, just like I was super passionate about the brands that you know, I built. And they're also relationship based, you know, 85% of anything you see me post on social media, I've met the founder, you know, I have relationships with their marketing team, I, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm friends with them, you know, they're the relationships that I have in the real world. It's not, you know, just some offer that I got from email and, you know, decided to, to post something about it. So that's important to me. And, you know, like any of the long term relationships I have with with brands or retainer deals, you know, typically they are, I'm, I'm building out their ambassador program for them. So, you know, I'm, I'm more entwined with the company 
than just, you know, thinking I'm really going to move the needle by posting something on social media. So those are my favorite types of deals to take where I really feel like I'm, I'm helping, you know, build the brand and move the needle for them. Yeah, it's kind of like a multiplier effect. Like you're not just using your own resources, you're creating a network and then you're multiplying the results. Exactly. Yep. A hundred percent. And so, you know, that's why I like working with like the 10,000s or canes or beams of the world, because like, I love the product. I love the people involved in it. And like, I think I can really help them grow by introducing them to people in my network or introducing them to dis distribution channels. So, you know, they, they feel like I'm providing value and I feel like I'm providing value. So it's a win-win. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've just recently been hearing about 10,000 from some of my friends in the fitness industry and everyone's raving about it. So I got on their website and I saw that kind of, I saw your name on there, a bunch of other really good athletes. And there was sort of this promotional thing where everyone was doing kind of their own feat of strength. And I thought yeah. that was super cool. There was some that sounded like extremely challenging, but super interesting. I thought that was a really cool, you know, method to incorporate the gear. It wasn't just about the gear, it was about like also this kind of world series of fitness type deal. Yeah, what's also cool about that is the creativity component. So like my buddy, Mike, he just set the Guinness world record for most amount of weight uh, in an hour doing Turkish get-ups. I think he was doing like four Turkish get-ups every minute on the minute for 60 minutes with a 99 pound kettlebell. I mean, some insane weight. And then uh, my buddy, Mike Maraglia, who's actually coming to Colorado this week to train for 10 days with me, he did, he, he created this, the Strongman Marathon in the Salt Flats in Utah. One of the miles he handstand walked in the sand. One of them, he, he farmer carried uh, like some ridiculous weight. He did like a 300 pound yoke walk for a mile. He carried his girlfriend for a mile. He did burpee uh, broad jumps for a mile. I mean, it was insane. Uh, but it's also cool that like everyone doing these, they're like, they're coming up with their own challenge. You know, it's not just like, you know, I'm doing an Ironman, which obviously is very challenging, but you know, people are creating their own version of an Ironman where they think they can inspire people to push themselves and, and push their boundaries. So that, that's the, the really cool part about it. Yeah, that's true. The creativity, especially on something like as complex as 24 different, or sorry, 26 different miles, you really got to yeah. start reaching into the pocketbook and pulling out ideas when you need 26 different ways to locomote a mile. Yeah, exactly. Are, are you going to do uh, your own feat of strength or, or what's your next focus in terms of fitness goals? I definitely will do my own feat of strength. Um, so initially I was supposed to kick it off with the cactus to clouds hike in Palm Springs, but it was during COVID. So it, it got pushed back. And then some other people like Mike did his feat of strength, the strongman marathon. And I'm like, well, cactus to clouds in Palm Springs. Sure. It's a hard hike, but it's not nearly as hard as what he did or as creative as what he did. So I'm honestly still kind of brainstorming what I'm going to do. I wanted to incorporate some kind of like Colorado adventure with mountain biking into it, but 10,000 isn't making any biking gear yet. So I'm kind of waiting until like they, they, now they have water gear, they have, you know, running gear, obviously they have training gear, kind of waiting for some cycling gear and putting together this like, ultimate you know endurance obstacle type thing in in colorado with all of the different things that we do here yeah that'd be super sick
So speaking of, of biking, how did you kind of get into the, the biking and uh, Ironman track? Was that something that you always had your eyes set on from the beginning? Were you always like, I want to do a triathlon as I get more fit? Or did that just pop up out of nowhere? Yeah, I mean, there was an evolution. So I played sports in high school. I loved basketball. I ran cross country. I ran track. You know, I was good for my high school, but I was no, by no means an elite athlete during that time period. Um, I got into weightlifting and by weightlifting, bench pressing, pretty much just bench pressing in college, bicep curls, tricep curls. Actually, funny story. Uh, so I got to college and I did very little weightlifting in, in high school. All I did was like push-ups and I built up to like 300 push-ups a day. So I was doing quite a few push-ups, started doing a little bench press in, in high school. I get to college and all I really knew was chest. So all I would do every day was like go in and bench press and do push-ups. And this dude, Ian, uh, he introduced me to like, no, you're supposed to do shoulders one day and back and buys one day and chest one day and never legs. Uh, <laughs> so I, I got into doing that in college. So I started, you know, developing some strength in college um after college i got out of shape i was driving fifty thousand miles a year sitting in a car for six years building my insurance business and towards the end of that time period so like five years in i hired a personal trainer henry who got me into like aesthetically good looking shape again doing crossfit type workouts um before you know crossfit was really a, a thing in like the you know mid 2000s uh and then Really what got me into triathlon was I had some friends who bought triathlon bikes because the inaugural uh, Syracuse 70.3 was happening in Jamesville, New York. And I thought the triathlon bikes looked really cool. I had just bought a, a mountain bike and a road bike. And these guys had even cooler bikes. They had four handlebars on them. <laughs> so I'm like, I want one of those. So I bought a triathlon bike. And by buying a triathlon bike, it's like, well, I probably should do a triathlon. So I signed up for my first triathlon in 2009. I had no swimming background. I swam for about a month at Gold's Gym just to like be able to like keep my head in the water for 800 yards. And I almost drowned in that first sprint triathlon. I passed a lot of people on the bike, passed people on the run. So it was empowering. And I ended up getting third place in my age group. Like the beautiful thing about triathlon is they have like all of these categories where you can place, you know, they have like, the pro division, the overall amateur division, age group division. So I think I got like third in my age group, which was empowering. And I'm like, wow, I think I'm pretty good at this sport. So um, I signed up for another sprint and then an Olympic distance. And, you know, I just kept wanting to like achieve more within the sport and go further and faster. It's, it's very addicting because it's like business where, you know, the results are directly correlated to how much practice you put in. So I started doing uh, these sprint triathlons every Wednesday night in, in Jamesville, New York. And like, I looked the part, I was, I was ripped from doing all these CrossFit workouts and I would win these Wednesday night triathlons. But when I would sign up for like a local Olympic distance triathlon, there was this dude, Mike Corona, who would always beat me. And like, he didn't look as fit as I did, but he'd always beat me. So I ended up hiring him as a coach and, you know, he taught me, you know, training hard versus training smart. Like I was training hard all the time instead of training smart. Like, you know, I was ripping runs and I was going as hard as I could on the bike. Like I wasn't building endurance. Um, so he taught me to slow down, to speed up, like the, the Phil Maffetone method of heart rate training. 
and he forced me to start slowing down all of my runs. So he, uh, he told me like, if I went above a 140 heart rate on my runs, he would fire me as a client. So I had to back way off on my pace. Like instead of running my seven minute per mile for five miles, I'm running like 845s, but I could go longer and I could run more frequently. So I was building durability and I was building an aerobic engine. So, you know, fast forward from 2010 when I hired him to 2014 at Kona, um, I was running a 625 pace for 20 plus miles at a 129 heart rate. And it was from doing 90% of my training, like in that aerobic heart rate zone. And I just built like this tremendous aerobic engine and I built durability. So mm-hmm. that, that was a long-winded answer of how I got into triathlon and then ultimately how I excelled at triathlon. It was like, you know, trusting the process, slowing down in order to speed up and like really following a program, like hitting the wattages on the bike and, you know, staying below heart rate zones, but, you know, doing threshold training when necessary to build my lactic threshold. Um, Because triathlon is all about just like, what is your lactic threshold? And how, what percentage of that can you hold for a long period of time? And like a lot of people just constantly do speed work. So they have a high lactic threshold, but they can only hold like 70% of that for an hour. And, you know, so much of triathlon is being able to hold like, 80 to 85 percent of your threshold for 10 hours so for people that aren't in the fitness community they don't run up mount morrison every week what is a lactic threshold yeah it's like you know when you're when your lungs are burning and your muscles are burning I mean, it's when your muscles are burning um so in increasing that lactic threshold is doing short hard intervals so an example in triathlon would be you know, one minute as hard as you can go on the bike, and then, you know, one or two minutes of rest. For CrossFit, it's doing like 20 to 30 seconds all out on the assault bike and resting for two minutes, so you can go at like peak effort again. Those are the kind of intervals that are going to increase your lactic threshold. And then, you know, to increase your endurance, it's doing like 130 heart rate, 130 is my aerobic zone, you know, it's doing like 75% of your max heart rate for longer periods of time. And then as you get closer to races, you want to do a lot of tempo work. So, you know, doing like longer blocks at your goal race pace, whether it's a half Ironman, whether it's a half marathon, a full marathon, like any of these endurance sports, they kind of all hold true as like, you know, there's, there's specific times when you should be doing these different training blocks. Yeah, for sure. I see uh, somebody talking about the assault bike. I think that is uh I've been training for the last couple of years, mainly in the woods and outside, mainly just running and kind of doing natural training. But I've had a gym the last couple of months and having access to an assault bike has just murdered my lungs on so many occasions. Like, like you said, it can be 30 seconds or I'll do 20 seconds on and 10 seconds off. And doing that for eight to 10 rounds, I, you know, it's almost like you're going to pass out. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, it, you're, you're going to go beyond your, your, aero, your anaerobic threshold on it without like, you know, tremendous fatigue from muscles. You, you, you obviously get the fatigue from muscles too, but it's like cross country skiing. You know, they're just, they're sports where you're moving everything at the same time. So your heart rate gets more elevated than like almost anything else. Like, you know, you sprint long enough, like your muscles are really going to give out first where 
I feel like with that assault bike, like your heart rate just gets so elevated on it. Yeah, it, it can be brutal, especially like your first couple times doing it. If you're not ready, it can be, it can be brutal. Yeah, I've, I've ruined a lot of friends' days by doing assault bike intervals where their like equilibrium is just so off the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. So one thing uh, I've heard you say is how important um, the workout in the morning is for you. Why is yeah. it? Why is it such a tradition or it's almost a religion for you that the workout is going to happen every morning, no matter what? Yeah, I mean, it sets the stage for my day. It allows me to be the best version of myself. You know, I could wake up feeling like shit. I get that workout in my head straight. You know, I have energy. You know, I'm in flow state. And the rest of my day is just kind of downhill cruise control. And it's hard, you know, like doing a CrossFit workout, going on a 90 minute run, going on a three and a half hour bike, like these things are hard. So, you know, they set you up to continue achieving throughout the day. And they, you know, they, they set you up to be present. I, I think that's super important is, you know, picking activities early on in the day that will set your mind to be present throughout the day instead of distracted throughout the day. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm a first thing in the morning kind of guy. And I'm to the point now where if I don't get some kind of sweat in during the morning hours, then I'm, I'm just kind of weird the rest of the day. Like I'm just yeah. off. Yeah. Same. It's, it, yeah. I mean, I found that through triathlon, like initially I was doing it cause that's when I could fit it in. And then I started to realize like I would go into my office and I'm like, damn, I'm sharp. You know, my mind is firing on all cylinders. So I started to do it more. And now I only pretty much do it for that reason of like, I want to feel good day in and day out. And I'm, I'm competing against myself. I'm not doing it to compete with others anymore. Yeah. So I think um, you kind of glanced over how legit you became in the Ironman community. Uh, but when you were at the peak, like the Kona World Championships Ironman peak, how many hours a day was Eric training? Yeah, I mean, a, a big week would be 25 plus hours um off season would be 15 to 17 hours like in season but not a peak week would be 17 to 20 hours that was a lot so what does that look like is that two workouts a day usually every day was two workouts yeah every day it, was was, two. it was typically uh yeah let, you know, let's call it a run in the morning and maybe a swim at lunch and then maybe a crossfit workout three days a week in the um in the evening and so weekends would be like long days where you know, it would be a longer bike ride, maybe a short run off the bike, and then like a really long bike ride on a on a Sunday. Um, for me, like the two, the bit, the like weekend build days were when I got really, really fit, you know, doing like a, a three and a half hour bike with a pretty hard run off the bike on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, you know, backing that up with like a four hour ride. Um, you know, just come, you're just building so much durability by doing those on back to back days. Absolutely. But I think that begs the question, what kind of sacrifices do you have to make when you're when you're spending that kind of time just on your personal fitness? Yeah, I mean, a lot. That was my priority during that time period. And if you want to get to Kona, like you can do it with a family, you, you can do it, you know, running a business. But it's it certainly is a hell of a lot easier if you don't have to, you know, juggle a lot of balls. So yeah, I was sacrificing a lot. I wasn't traveling much during that time period. If I did travel, you know, I was making sure I booked a place near a YMCA, near running trails. You know, I would locate a 
place where I could cycle when I was in that city. I would look for places where I could hit an infrared sauna. I would, you know, study where the, the healthy restaurants were near me. So I was doing a lot of homework if I was outside of, you know, my typical routine. But, you know, 95% of the time, I was just in my typical routine. I wasn't going out to late dinners anymore. I had stopped drinking. You know, I wasn't partying. I, yeah, a lot of the things I did in my 20s, I, I, I said no to. And a lot of them, like, I didn't want to do anymore. So, you know, they weren't so much sacrifices. They were just lifestyle changes. Mm. But, you know, yeah, like traveling, that was a sacrifice. And, you know, saying no to going out to dinners with people, that was definitely a sacrifice. So it just depends how far you want to take anything, you know? Absolutely. But I think for you, correct me if I'm wrong, you – you were in a good spot because you kind of front loaded by building these businesses in the beginning yeah. part of your life, putting in those 50,000 miles on your car every year, selling insurance to get to this point where you could really chase your passion, which was, it ended up being, I don't know if you knew it the whole time, but it ended up being, you know, the health and wellness thing. A hundred percent. I, yeah, I did not know it at the time. I didn't know it in, until I was in the mix of it where I'm like, Holy shit, this is what I was designed to do. Uh, but yeah, I, I was so fortunate, again, that my father gave me that opportunity to, you know, create some financial freedom for myself. Absolutely. And then since then, you've kind of taken that and built a bunch of other businesses on it. So it seems like it's kind of, it's paid dividends outside of just what it provided in the moment. A hundred percent. I mean, during that time period, I, I was not capitalizing on, you know, being an elite Ironman athlete. You know, I think I got a bike during that time period, but you know, outside of that, I didn't have any grand deals. I wasn't getting paid. Um, so it wasn't until after competing that I really had the aha moment of, you know, I can build a brand and a business out of this. And like another piece of advice I, t I tell people is, you know, if you're going to trade time for money, at least make it something you would you'd be doing anyways. Like I would be living my life the exact same way today with or without brand deals you know i'm gonna go to the gym i'm gonna mountain bike i'm gonna trail run with you i'm gonna wear ten thousand. i'm gonna you know do my cold plunge in an ice barrel like i'd be living my life the same way so yeah if you're trading time for money make sure you're you're doing something that you want to be doing every single day and enjoy doing yeah that's an interesting point i i listened to a guy named naval ravikant he, he often talks about the idea of uh you know, financial freedom and how trading time for money can be a, a serious sacrifice down the road. But I agree that if it is something you love doing, then it, it's actually, there's no, there's no issue there. Yep. And, and if you are just make sure early on, like we're all going to write these surviving chapters to get to a thriving chapter. So, you know, early on, if you are trading time for money, like try and make it something where you're building an asset or you're building some kind of residual income out of it. Absolutely. So I think that's a, that's a good segue right there to uh, the recovery, which I've got to see a lot of your take on recovery. Recovery is like, I feel like it's the hottest thing right now. Everyone's kind of talking about uh, their own personal choices in that realm. Uh, I think a good place to start with you is the cold plunge. I think we have that passion uh, together. And I'm curious, like, what was your, your introduction to cold exposure? Yeah. Uh, so before cold exposure, my first introduction was sauna, um, infrared saunas specifically, where I was using them to heat acclimate for Kona. So I was doing it specifically for training purposes during that time and more just for like heat acclimation. But, 
you know, I realized after those infrared sauna sessions, it was a very similar feeling that I got post-exercise, tremendous mental clarity, you know, a dopamine hit, you know, I just felt great. So I'm like, hmm, I think there's something to this. Um, so I stuck with the infrared saunas, uh, you know, for even when I wasn't training for Ironman because I was feeling good day in and day out. And then when I moved to Colorado in 2017, um, I was one of the first places I found was Denver Sports Recovery, specifically because I saw they had an infrared sauna. So I joined Denver Sports Recovery, and they also have a hot tub and a cold plunge. So I started going there religiously every single night at like 6.30 or 7 p.m., and I would sit in the infrared sauna for 50 minutes, and then I would do three rounds, five minutes in the hot tub, five minutes in the cold plunge. So that was my introduction to cold exposure, and it was like the infrared sauna on steroids. It was just like, wow, I feel so good after doing this. And like after 2015, 16, all of those years of running and then getting into CrossFit training, like my body was pretty beat up. Like, you know, my, my knees were bu bugging me. My hips were bugging me. Like I just always, I always felt like I was like working around something. Something was always just like nagging. So like during that time period of 2017 to 2018, you know, after consistently doing that for six or eight months, like all of those aches and pains went away. And like I was able to do CrossFit workouts and a trail run downhill on the same day and feel fine to do it again the next day. So, you know, I realized that like it was getting rid of a lot of years of built up inflammation, you know, mentally, I felt great. Emotionally, I felt great. It was just like, ticking all of these boxes. And then, you know, from there, I got into the, into the cold streams and the ice baths and, you know, you just take it to another level. And, you know, now my practice is either jumping in a cold stream after, uh, after like a mountain bike ride or, you know, doing my ice barrel sauna or hot Epsom salt bath routine every single day. Awesome. Yeah. So real quick, the infrared sauna, is that like red light therapy or are those completely different? Uh, some of them have red light built into it, but yeah, it's yeah. heating you up through light. So the temperature of the sauna is not as hot as like a, a traditional barrel sauna outside or a wood burning sauna, but your core temperature gets incredibly hot from the infrared light heating up your core. Um, so they're great. I mean, I, I have an infrared sauna. I still use it, but I mean, typically now I'm using a, a traditional sauna just because they're you know, we, we usually run them at like 200 degrees. You heat up in 15 minutes. I mean, you're, you can't wait to get out of that thing and into the cold water. So if you're combining sauna with cold exposure, I really like the traditional saunas for doing it. But, you know, if you're in a city, you don't have access to cold exposure, you don't have access to a traditional sauna, infrared saunas are absolutely amazing too. Or like for your home, they're, you know, I, we have one in our laundry room. It's just, it's something you can easily put inside your home as well. Awesome. Yeah. I think the, the cool thing that you're talking about, the stream, that's definitely, or stream or lake or anything that's kind of a natural feature. I, I like to add in like the nature connection component oh, into yeah. the cold plunge. Cause I feel like it kind of, it's a multiplier effect on the recovery, not just for my body, but for my mind. It's amplified. I can't agree more. And same with like trail run running versus, you know, running on a road. Like I prefer trail running so much more now and specifically like technical trail running because you're outside, 
you know, you're, you have to be in the moment because it's technical terrain you're covering. And same with like mountain biking versus road biking. I prefer mountain biking because again, like it's such a skill-based activity. The flow state that you get from it is on another level. Same for, you know, sitting in a cold stream, lake, whatever. You're in nature, you're soaking up the sun. So yeah, like there's, there's like, there's levels to, to this stuff, you know, to, to amplify it even more. Yeah, there, there's definitely something, you know, when you're doing it outdoors and it's technical, that's a good point because you have to be so much more present because there is eminent danger when you're running on the spine of a mountain. And if you take two steps in the wrong direction, you're going tumbling. So the, yeah. the presence it takes versus road running where you're taking the same step every yeah. stride. I feel like when you're when you're on a trail, you know, you're dodging right, you're hopping over a log, you're yeah. you're dodging left. You don't roll your ankle. Yeah, even like the the small risks are risks, you know, you're you're in the moment. Yeah, trail running has has been a, a real passion of mine and I didn't start doing it until, you know, just a couple of years ago and people are like, "Oh, running, that sounds terrible. It sounds really boring." And I think when they when they say that, they're thinking of like running through a neighborhood for miles and miles and just like looking at the Johnsons and I'm like, no, this is, this is something totally different. Like on top of a mountain, there's animals, there's trees, there's the sunshine, completely yeah. different ball game. Yeah. Same with hiking. Like I used to think of hiking as just like, you know, walking uphill, like what's the big deal? Like I love hiking now. It's, it's an incredible aerobic activity and you're outside again, you're in the moment, you're seeing nature, you're connecting with nature. So like hiking for me is one of those things where moving to Colorado, it like, really opened my eyes to how amazing hiking is yeah and once you get out here you realize how hard it can be Especially, oh yeah you know with some of the vert that you know that you're tackling there is some serious moments where you're up in 150 beats per minute 160 beats per minute you're skyrocketing your heart rate yeah yeah just yeah one step at a time <laughs> yeah you're just you're just trying to uh just trying to keep it together so i saw uh a new deal you're working with with uh soft sophomore footwear is that correct yeah, yeah. i've actually uh i reached out to them because i saw that they were a minimalist footwear i've yeah. been pretty big on like wide toe zero drop shoes yep. is that something that you've been focusing on in terms of your foot health like minimalist style definitely i mean for like the crossfit training like you want a shoe like that for the olympic lifting like you want something that is kind of like barefoot feeling so um, I love them for that, but they're also great just for, for lifestyle. Um, you know, trail. So in Ironman, I actually wore Newton shoes that had like lugs on them, which really forced you to run on the ball of your, of your foot. They were great. Um, you know, it's not going to work for the CrossFit training. So what I've tried to find is a shoe where I can do a lot with it. You know, I can, you know, if I'm traveling, I can bring one pair of shoes with me that I can use for CrossFit training. I can use to go out to dinner with. And I can use to go for, you know, a short run with. And, you know, that's that's why I like sophomore so much. And, you know, that's another story of I met Jordan, the founder in Austin in a sauna, Squatch Frontier Fitness, and just like kicked it with him. And, you know, I told him about cane shoes. He told me about his, you know, sneaker company he was starting and we just hit it off. So, you know, it kind of goes back to like real world connections for a lot of this stuff in brand deals. That's it's super important to me is to like know the team, know the story and, you know, like know their passion and purpose behind the product. Right on. How did you, how did you get so focused and 
uh, ingrained into this networking idea. Do you think that you, did you devote time to become a great networker or were you born like type A, very outgoing, born as a good networker? Uh, I mean, I'm an only child. So, you know, I grew up surrounding myself with friends, always inviting friends to come over and play basketball and play ping pong in my basement. So I've always been a people person. And I think like with business, I realized the power of social capital of like connecting people and just how the universe reciprocates. Um, and I mean, ultimately I enjoy it, but when you enjoy it and then you see the benefits from it, you keep doing it. So, and that's just kind of how my mind works. When I'm meeting with someone, I instantly think like, fuck, Ryan should meet this person and this person and this person, like they would hit it off. And I don't know, it just like satisfies my soul when I connect people knowing that like, they're probably going to hit it off and they might be able to form something together. Yeah, that's awesome. And it seems like you've kind of been able to create that community and do it, do so intentionally. Like you, you've really created like a group of brands that all kind of work together. Yeah. hundred percent. It's really cool to see. So a question I like to ask uh, a lot of my guests is who is currently inspiring you? Um, so that, that shifts depending on like what chapter I'm writing in life. Um, you know, so right now, who's inspiring me, his, his name is Ryan Serhart, because we're in the process of buying a, a new home. And I've been watching his YouTube for like different design ideas and stuff. Um, so he's been a lot of inspiration for me lately. But, you know, like during the triathlon years, I was inspired by great bikers and great runners. And, you know, when I was in the software, so, uh, software years, I was inspired by like, the Tim Ferrises and Kevin Roses and Elon Musk's of the world that, you know, we're creating incredible things. So it's really shifted depending on like where I am in life. And I tend to like, I try to focus on one thing at a time and be inspired by, you know, one person or, you know, one sector at a time, depending on, you know, wh where my, where my focus and energy is going in, at that time. So yeah, right now it's like design, decor, real estate stuff. Right on. Yeah. The, the ability to have a house with trails in the backyard. Once you told me that I was like, Oh, this is going to be, it's going to be legit. That's right. You're going to get in some serious trail time like that. I know. So excited. I've been trying to figure out how to position my life to be something, you know, similar where you don't have to get in the car. You just wake up and you just hit the trails first thing out of bed. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. Um, we were in Moab for five months. And I mean, that was literally out the door every single day, unlimited access to, to beautiful nature. Yeah, and Moab, some of the sickest mountain biking in the world, like sure talk about flow state, they have some crazy trails there. Yeah, they do. They're almost too technical for me, but, but yeah, amazing, <laughs> amazing trails. Yeah, there, there is some, uh, some really technical stuff there. When you're, when you're mountain biking, uh, is that similar? Um, how I heard an interview, you said that you like to listen to the same song over and over to kind of put yourself in a flow state. Is that what you do in your mountain biking as well? 100%. Yeah, I'll listen to like Rufus, Odessa, some kind of DJ set, sometimes hip hop music. But yeah, one song on repeat for running, riding. You know, if my my training partners at the gym don't get too mad at me, sometimes I'll do it at the gym. <laughs> it might take them like 30 minutes to catch on. And they're like, are we listening to the same song over and over? I'm like, yep. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a mind hack. Um, you know, I think you'll hear like Tim Ferriss or a lot of like prolific writers, they talk about listening to like, 
you know, jazz music with a very, you know, harmonious melody that just keeps playing because like time stops and you're just in the moment. So that's what it is for me. It's just when I'm out there biking one song, it's like I am in the moment the entire time. I have no clue, you know, elapsed time or how much time I have to go. Absolutely. Yeah, I kind of, uh, I do the same thing with meditation. Like I just put on music that kind of is, it's, it's almost like it, there's no start and there's no end to the song. Yep. It's kind of playing in the background the whole time. That way you just kind of fall into a trance. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird thing how our brains work like that. It really. is. So what's, uh, what's the key, and I guess key for a normal person, if you were going to give them diet advice for someone that's trying to balance like the different struggles of everyday lifestyle? Yeah. Structure. Structure is by far the most important thing. I mean, for a while, I was going out for every meal. Most people would say that's super unhealthy, but I was going to the exact same restaurants at the exact same times, getting the exact same menu items, some of which I kind of created at different places in Denver. So structure is the most important thing. It's like I wake up, like my eating is on autopilot. I have my coffee in the morning. I go to the gym. I come home. I either have creatures of habit oatmeal or I make a, a vital performance smoothie and then um, I'll go off some kind of afternoon adventure and then I'll have like a big salad from green seed market here in Denver with eggs on it or chicken on it and then dinner is usually either some kind of meat red meat burgers chicken um, some kind of potato and then usually some kind of leafy green um, so it's like it's it's eating similar things each day at the same times, but making sure that you enjoy it. Like I, I look forward to all of the things that I eat every day, but I don't have to make too many decisions around food. I just know like that's what I'm eating at that time every day. Yeah. I, I've kind of adapted a similar routine where I eat almost the same thing uh, every single day, which I think for a lot of people sounds really boring, but for me, I like that food and I like yeah. it every day. And that's the key to it. Like you have to enjoy it. And I, you know, I think we're all smart enough to know like what to stay away from. Like if you eat a, you know, a carton of ice cream, yeah, you're going to feel good right after, but you're going to feel like shit that night and you're going to feel like shit the next day. You know, if you eat processed food, you know what it's going to do to you. It's going to zap your energy. You're going to have gas. You're going to feel like shit. So, and that's not to say that sometimes I don't indulge in that stuff, but I know that I'm not going to be the best version of myself if I am eating that way. So yeah, I don't think it's like, rocket science of like, yeah, you know, eat whole foods, eat things that come out of the ground, eat things you can kill. And yeah, you're going to feel pretty good if you're eating those things, even if like you overeat them to some degree. It's when you start eating a lot of sugar and you eat processed foods that like our bodies just don't understand what to do with it. Yeah. And I, I think it even, for me, it even, uh, it gets amplified when it's like wild meat personally. Like when the meat, or sure. it doesn't even necessarily have to be wild, but when you know where it's been sourced and you know it is as fresh as possible, especially with like wild game, the effect it has on my body feels like it's tenfold of something that's processed or, you know. Agree. It's more, yeah, it's more nutrient dense, no doubt. Yeah. And it, it feels a little bit better when you're eating it. Yeah. The, uh, the one I've been obsessed with lately is Primal Kitchen, their sausage. Yeah. Have you, I don't know if you're familiar with those. Oh, yeah. My girlfriend Sarah and I are obsessed with their buff sauce. We slather it on everything. 
chicken. Dude. Oh my God, it's so good on chicken. <laughs> I'm gonna go broke because I, I, that's like the only sauce that I eat is like the the Primal Kitchen, mainly the buffalo sauce. I can't keep it oh. in, my, in my house though because I just eat all of it, so. <laughs> yeah. but, I'm a sauce guy, so I go through a lot of those bottles. <laughs> yeah, dude, the ingredients are crazy. There's like five ingredients in it. They're, it's so good, yeah. Yep, and cashew base, yep. The best. Well, Eric, we're coming up on an hour here. I've had an excellent time chatting with you. I feel like I've learned a ton. Um, are there anything else that you want to leave people with here? Yeah, I mean, if you guys have any questions in the realm of health and wellness, entrepreneurship, designing your life, like just message me on here. I love chatting about this stuff and happy to help. Yeah, awesome. And you, you've been such a great networker and you really do respond to people straight off your inbox. So uh, you guys can find him. His Instagram is his name, Eric Hinman. And uh, yeah, check him out. Let's, uh, let's do this again soon and uh, hopefully hit a run next week, Eric. We'd love to. Yeah, let me know when you're back. All right, right, will do. Later, Thanks brother. Thanks for joining everybody. Stay wild. Later, guys.